Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but decide rather never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I'm sure you've guessed it by now that my verse is that verse 17 for the kingdom of God is not a matter of legalistic conditions and rules concerning what you may eat or what you may drink. But the kingdom of God is about the spirit of righteousness, the spirit of peace, and the spirit of joy. Many people, maybe you among them, think that the Christian life is all about trying to follow an endless list of regulations and rules. But now is the time to learn to be released into the true spirit of the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy. However, it still remains one of the devil's prime tactics to distract us in secondary issues and get us to fall out with one another and lose our love. These secondary issues sometimes are the very things that are spoken of here, eating and drinking. Look into the context, you see also that one of the other controversial things is that some people kept some of the feasts and holy days still part of the Judaism and its culture and others did not. And those who did not thought they were superior to those who did and those, those who did thought they were superior to those who did not. Things have not changed. And it's one of Paul's major purposes in writing his epistle to the Romans is to settle this issue. He was concerned that there was disunity in Rome between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians were those, many of them, who were keeping some of the elements of the law of Moses, which they, I guess, understood had nothing to do with their salvation. But hey, it was our culture. I've been doing this. I've never eaten pork since I was a baby. I'm not going to start now just because you Gentiles gobble it. I'm not going to have it. And there are other things as well about what they could drink and, and all kinds of rules and regulations. And there were holy days and Sabbaths and some of them kept them and some of them didn't. And it was a mess. And Paul had to write and say, let the main thing be the main thing. And what is the main thing? The main thing is love. Amen. 
So he said, nothing is unclean of itself. Jesus declared that all foods are clean. But you know, if somebody does not have that knowledge and that faith, to them it is unclean. They're going against their conscience. And Paul says, don't let what you believe to be good be evil spoken of. Don't put a stumbling block in the way of your brother. And remember, the kingdom of God has nothing to do with any of this. I remember hearing stories of the very first London World Pentecost World, uh, Pentecostal World Fellowship Meeting. It was founded in 1940, uh, 1947 in Zurich. And, uh, uh, and, and three, three years later, and the, the, well, at least in 1952, the third World uh, um, uh, Pentecostal World Fellowship Meeting was held here in London. And when I was a new believer, there in the uh, very early 1970s, there were people who remembered 20 years before, just as I remember 20 years from now, before now. And they were speaking as of yesterday, the furor that was created by this kind of distinction that different gatherings of believers were experiencing together. Imagine there were people meeting together, perhaps for the first time, from international Pentecostal fellowships. There were those from the United States of America. There were those from mainland continental Europe. There were the French. Ooh la la. There were the Dutch. There were the Germans. And there were the British and the English. And you know, the meetings were great, I hear, but the fellowship was difficult because people were offending people all over the place. First of all come, came in the American pastor's wives with their hair all permed up and maquillage galore on their face. And the British people said, oh, how can they call themselves Christians? Look at the makeup on their face. And the Americans doubtless turned aside one and said, look at that lady. She needs a little more makeup than we could possibly. Anyway, never mind. Polyfiller will do. And then there were the, the then there were the the, the the French. The French were offended by the people from Holland because you know what? They smoked cigars, and that was just the women. <laughs> Shock, horror, all kinds of offense. And and and, and the, the, some were offended because some people drank wine, and others were offended because they refused to drink wine. I don't know what people were offended about the British for. I don't think they, they gave any offense. I think they just took offense from everybody else. <laughs> Small things can become big things when we forget who Jesus is. When we allow the spirit of condemnation, the spirit of legalism to, to, to carry on in our lives as Christians, we can destroy not just the spirit of love, but the brother for whom that love is intended. I remember as a very young Christian, I was very keen on fasting. I thought fasting was the answer to everything. And I would fast at a drop of a hat. And so I called a fast in our local uh, local house group, house fellowship. I said, I call a fast, we're going to fast. And so next week we gathered together to fast. I don't think anybody fasted really. People were in such a bad mood from lack of food. I don't think it was a fast that God had chosen. But then the elder brother and the elder sister began an argument. The one was a major in the army and the other was a pacifist. Two points of view. 
There have been Christians who are totally pacifistic, pacifists, and there are Christians who believe that we should defend our nation and we should go to war if it is necessary. And Christians have argued down through the centuries over this one. In the First World War and the Second World War, many Pentecostal pastors went to prison rather than go to war because they would never want to pick up a gun and kill anybody for any reason whatsoever. And other Christians said, no, 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 you've got to stand and defend your country. Controversies. Anyway, they, they got into an argument and pretty soon there was going to be no more fasting because this older brother and this older sister, I mean, they, were, they lost all the sanctification. I think they went home, had a good steak and tried to forget about it. I remember also, a few years later, that same fellowship, we were meeting on a Sunday and we decided together to break bread. It was not yet the time of the cell ministry as we know it. And little groups like that were frowned upon because they were not properly overseen. But today, in our cell ministry, cell group ministry, every cell leader is an established leader. Make sure if you go to a cell, it's a proper Kensington Temple cell and registered under our authority. And that registration goes right up to high level of uh, in charitable circles. In other words, in charity circles. We are responsible for you as a leader and you are accountable to us. And that responsibility and accountability makes beautiful music together. And people are blessed under the order of the Holy Spirit. And so we decided to have communion. And there were some in the group who said, okay, we'll go and get a nice bottle of Beaujolais with which to celebrate, hallelujah, the Lord's Supper. So they went out and got this Beaujolais. I know a little bit about what that is today. I think it is, I think it is a wine from France. I'm not sure anybody can confirm it to me before the end of the service. Or some, two, oh yeah, you got it. Actually, I know what it is and I like it. But anyway, never mind about that. So there was that. And then there was the, a lady, the same one, the same one, the pacifist. She looked at this. She went, <clears throat> I thought she was going to say, fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. No, no, no. She said, what is that? Well, that's the wine with which we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. As Jesus told her, he took the cup. Well, she said, I'm offended. So a little bit of a meeting. So they said, I know what we'll do. Let, 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 let's, let's dilute the wine. So that they took an amazing premier cru gold medallion, Beaujolais, and desecrated it and poured water into it. And there was nothing left. And then somebody stood up and said, I'm offended. What are you offended? You've destroyed my bottle of Beaujolais that I bought for this. And somebody else was offended. And you know what? There was not much communion going on. <laughs> I am surprised and amazed that God did not strike us all dead on the spot and say, I'm going to go and find some other people. But he's gracious and he's merciful. Amen and amen. So, don't think that what we're talking about here only relates to thousands of years ago when the Jews and the Gentiles were learning how to get on, we still have to learn how to get on. And there are things that we need to recognize which is we kept to one side, and in these things, uh, there, 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 there can be differences of opinion. 
Certain things for which there is no negotiation, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses from every sin. You can't be a believer, a Christian, unless you believe that. Amen and amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen and amen. He died on the cross to save us. All these things are central doctrines, and we can't be real Christians without it. But there are many other things that we can be. And so what is important for us is not to be sidetracked by secondary issues or anything else, but remain centrally focused on the things that produce love, that release the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk a little bit about that before we come down to pray for one another. Why is it that many of us love rules and regulations? Why is it that we think holiness it consists in a long list of do's and don'ts, mainly don'ts? None of this, none of that. Find out what they're doing and stop them because it's probably sinful. And that's very much the way of the law. Now I'm not speaking disparagingly of the law of God. Because the law of God is holy, given by God, but not for the purpose of making us holy. The law was given by God to show us how, whole, how unholy we are and how much we need Jesus to make us holy. For the giving of commandments will give us a standard, but not give us power or motivation or ability, not one bit of help to live according to those standards. But Jesus, who is the standard of all standards, is the only one who fulfilled every detail of the law in perfection. And he is the one who says, I have come to give you life. Not death, life. The first covenant came by writing. We could say the first covenant was forged on Mount Sinai and written by the finger of God on the tablets of stone. The Ten Commandments. And Paul later on says, remember that? The finger of God writing the covenant on tables of stone. Well, God's finger in the new covenant is also active. This time, he's not writing his commandments on tables of stone. He is writing them on the fleshly tablets of our heart. His law is written in our heart. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive a new heart and a new spirit. Here is the revelation today. I'm going to sound it out with all my might, but it's only the Holy Spirit that can drive it home to you and transform your life. We do not live by the letter of the law. We live by the Spirit. Meaning that, of course, we need the Bible. What is the New Testament for us? A new law? No. What is the New Testament for us? It's the written form of the leadings of the Holy Spirit as God spoke to people's hearts and they wrote it down. This is the leading of the Holy Spirit. Even the Old Testament law for us enlightens us concerning Christ. So when we read the law in the Old Testament, it's not a standard that we have to live up to in order to be accepted by God, but it is the standard of God's Spirit written in our hearts and the law as we read it, it excites us because it becomes a promise of life. 
not thou shalt not covet, but you shall not covet because the Spirit's in you. Amen? Do you get it? Do you get it? It's not thou shalt worship the Lord your God and him only shalt thou serve. No, because the Spirit of God's in you. He is the only one you want to worship. Amen? It's not that you, you, you shall not steal, but because the Spirit's in you, you are content with what you have and you wouldn't out of love destroy anybody else's property. It's, see, the law, which was a standard, a harsh external standard, now becomes a promise. It now becomes a new power in us because the law is written in our hearts and we know that as we follow the Spirit, we put aside all of these arguments and indeed we don't go the way of self-effort which belongs to the defunct system of the law. Whenever a movement or a church or even a person moves away from the glory of God, they become ever so religious. They become ever so legalistic and they reduce their life to habits and rules. Some of the habits are very good, like Sunday church attendance. Thank God that you are here tonight. Please don't go home until we're done. It's good that you're here. Um, maybe it's a godly habit, but, but none of us are doing this as, as a kind of legalistic thing, are we? We're gathering because we want to, and even when we don't want to, we know we do want to really. The last place I feel like going is the church, but I'm going. Why? Because it's the last place I feel like going, but I really want to be there. We're contradictory. But we know that there's some good habits to be formed and I'm not speaking against good habits. I'm just saying we don't rely on any of these things for our righteousness and we don't try to do the stuff in our own strength. See, the blessing of the new covenant includes a new heart and a new spirit and it's totally linked to the person of Jesus, especially the spirit whom he's given to us. So we walk no longer in the old way of the flesh, but in the new way of the Spirit as God's kingdom comes. And here the Apostle Paul says, I want you to understand three things about this. It is not the kingdom of God, it is not arguments about legalistic matters or rules and regulations concerning what you will eat, what you will drink, where you will go. You know, there's some religions that are so dictatorial that they tell you everything you need to do, even how to go to the toilet. Hello? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There are some religions which are nothing more than rules and regulations. And I, I spoke to somebody from a particular religion and I say, you know, you know, you cannot even get to know God. Your religion doesn't even allow you to get to know God. But Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh and we can come to the Father through him. My friend stopped me and he said, don't talk to me about that. I may not know God, but I know what he requires of me. Meaning every day, if he was to follow the rules of his faith, the rules of his religion, from the morning, he'd be told what time to get up, what time to pray, every single thing, every single step, every single day, what to eat, what not to eat, who to talk to, who not to talk to, and how to go to the toilet. As a religious matter, not a matter of just sanitary and common sense and health stuff, no, 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 as a religious matter. 
One man came to me and he said, you know, I gave all that up. I'm going to tell you exactly what he told me. It's a little bit, no, I'll go for it. He said, he was saying his prayers. He did everything right. And at the very end, he passed wind. Don't be so shocked. It does happen. God knows about it. And according to his religion, according to his ideas, that, that, that desecrated all his prayers and he had to start again. And he thought, my goodness, what happens if I pass wind again? Do you know what he did? He got saved on the spot. Do you know why? He said, wait a bit, this is ridiculous. The God who gave me a body knows about gastric juices and knows exactly what is produced and knows about all that kind of stuff. All right, don't let not go there. We're in a church building. We're here to celebrate, not here to think about such stuff. But you know, God does not mind. Amen and amen. Hello, people of God. Stop being so religious and looking at me like that. It does not disqualify you. Jesus had a body. And Jesus' biological functions, including his digestive system, worked exactly as yours and mine. Probably a whole lot better, but exactly. So God knows what it is to be manifested in the flesh. And he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. And we, he knows about all of that in any way. Anything unsavory about the body, including its changing shape as years go on, will be changed in the resurrection. Amen. So don't worry about that. Nothing to worry about. And so there are some religions that dictate everything about you. But you see, the Holy Spirit does not dictate. He inspires. And the first thing he inspires, if you follow the new way of the Spirit, which is the Spirit of the kingdom, is this righteousness. Notice I'm talking about a spirit of righteousness. Or the Holy Spirit of righteousness. Focus, focus on this. Now I'm, I'm, I'm discerning <clears throat> that in recent days there has been an outpouring of a spirit of ungodliness. A spirit of wickedness that's hit our society, hitting our generation. And with one, with one purpose in mind, many different purposes, one in particular, and that is to, to deceive the minds of God's people and to draw us away from righteousness into unrighteousness. And this has been a very strong assignment from hell to destroy the purity of God's people. And I want to make a strong declaration tonight. I'll make a strong declaration of faith because I say it doesn't make it so. But I believe I'm saying it because it's so. And because if we grab hold of it, it certainly shall be so. The Holy Spirit is saying enough is enough. I am going to send a new spirit of righteousness upon my people and the first thing that they shall desire is my kingdom and my righteousness from within. Go ahead, give that's a great place to give Jesus praise. That's a great place. And you know what, what, this, what this means? It means that there's a new wind blowing. Righteousness is about, just about gritting your teeth and, teeth and trying to live a moral life. 
I don't believe in effortless holiness, but I, I don't believe it's self-effort that gets us there. It's Holy Spirit-inspired effort. I can do all things. I can do. I can do all things, not in my own strength, but through Christ who gives me strength. There's a new spirit of righteousness that's going to hit the church like a holy hurricane. And we are going to find ourselves increasingly joyful in the spirit of righteousness, increasingly enjoying the peace of God, walking in holiness, not because we are trying in our own strength, but because the anointing of God is upon our lives. I think that's so beautiful. That's the heart of this prophetic word. That's the heart of it. Two things I wanted to say. Be released in the spirit, but understand that righteousness is going right, to be, be right there and we will find ourselves so rejoicing in righteousness. Let me come at this from another direction. I don't know how you feel, but our society, and it, and it creeps into the church, does not prize righteousness so much. What our society wants, and, and what we want truly, and we've got to be weaned off this dependence, what we want is satisfaction. We want happiness. And when it comes to holiness, we say, God, give me happiness now. We can defer holiness to heaven. And God says, no deal. You got it completely the wrong way around. He says, I'll make a deal with you. Here it is. I will give you holiness now and happiness can wait till heaven. We say, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, he, Jesus came to make me happy. No, he didn't. He came to save you that your life may glorify him. Now, of course, that's what makes you happy. I understand that. You get that. That's what makes you happy. That's the point here. But the moment you focus on happiness, you lose it. When you focus on Jesus, you get Jesus and happiness is thrown in. C.S. Lewis said, when you go for second things, you lose both first and second things. But when you go for first things, you get second things thrown in for good measure. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be given to you. The secondary things, they added. Hallelujah. I want God to stir us up for a hunger for righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now this is not one of those holiness talks that makes you feel heavy and guilty and a big fat failure or a skinny little failure, whatever failure you want to be. No, because we're talking about the God capacity. We're talking about him, as somebody said tonight, I think Dwayne, as he was leading in worship, God changes us from the inside out. And so this is the true spirit of the kingdom. Righteousness hits you as a priority and you pursue it with all of your heart because you are depending on the power of the Holy Spirit and the things that flow from Him and it's almost as if you're making no effort because you're not making any self-effort but you still have something to do as you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And once we get that right, look what flows immediately afterwards. Righteousness, that's the Spirit healing your life. Peace. 
don't try and look for peace, look for righteousness. Peace comes soon afterwards. Peace. What peace are we talking about? In the context, you've got to read this as peace with one another. Stop it, he says. You're so self-righteous about what you do that you are causing disruption. Have you ever met somebody in the cell, cell group or somebody in the church who feels they're just a little more righteous than the person alongside them? just a little higher in the things of the Spirit, they can turn down and look down on you and judge you, usually with a roll of the eyes or, a, or some snooty, snooty expression on their face as if there's a bad smell under their nose. And guess what? You are the bad smell. Hmm. No, 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 no. People who think they're better than anybody else we destroy one another. And you know something? When I've gone out and made it, made it my business to make friends with people who don't know Christ, not because I'm trying to be clever, not because I'm doing research, writing a book, or heading up some media ministry, social media ministry, but because the love of Christ beats in my heart for those who do not yet know him. You know, one of the things that I discover is the biggest barrier between us and them. You know, the barrier of saying us and them is one thing. But the, the biggest barrier is they think that we think we're better than them and we're judging them and looking down on them. But the sooner they get to know you, the better. Because they'll discover that you are no different. That underneath everything is a human nature, which is the same as anybody else. And if it was not for the grace of Jesus, you would be as lost as a ferret in a woodland. But the moment we recognize that there's only one ground upon which we stand, that's the blood of Jesus. There's no room for pride. And we do everything that makes for peace. The other thing is a psychology here. Uh, I hope I'm sticking to Bible psychology, but psychology, human psychology interests me. And I do study as much as I can, but simply because it fascinates me. But sticking to Bible psychology, don't, don't you think that if we're not right with God and don't have peace with God, that somehow that disturbs us? And we have to establish before everybody else that we are better than them and we really are okay. And one of the ways of doing that is by judging them. And the broken relationship we have with God soon shows itself in broken relationships with one another. Parents and children, stop judging your children, love them. The, the so-called sinners of the world, oh, people of God, such were some of us. But now, did somebody say such were all of us? yes. You're right. All of us were like that. But I'm quoting the scripture. He listed certain things in particular, but you're right. All of us. But what happened? We made the grade. We passed the test. 
We qualified, no, yet, nothing. No, 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 no. Now, now, now. In any language, it's the same thing. No, we, it was because he showed mercy on us. And when we show mercy on others, it makes for peace. Deep peace in our hearts. And oh, the peace of God. I was saying this morning, there is no prescription on the national health or private medicine anywhere in the world that compare, compares with the peace that Jesus gives you. He says, peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Jesus. The fruit of peace. Only flowing out of our relationship with God in righteousness and only as we pursue that righteousness does that peace manifest in our lives. Righteousness, peace, and what? And what's next? Joy. Wow. That's wonderful. You see, joy is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of walking with God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. But <clears throat> a gift of the Holy Spirit. But the joy that I'm speaking of here is supernatural. It's a joy that doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on anything that you can see and touch. Not finally, the second blessing things, the second things that God gives us are wonderful and that can add to our joy in a human sense when we find all the good things lining up in our life. I love the good things, amen and amen. But how spiritual we are is not judged or measured by how many good things we can point to in our life as secondary blessings, but it is the love for Jesus that gives us joy in all circumstances. And what is that joy? It's the joy of knowing him and knowing that we are walking with him and knowing that our future is secure in him. Amen and amen. There is no greater peace than yielding to the will of God. There's no greater joy that, than the joy that flows from going his way. So I want to encourage you tonight. This revival, um, let me just say, when I use the word revival, I'm probably following my American friends who call even evangelistic meetings revival. I'm believing God for the big thing, but I'm not prophesying that now when I say revival. I'm talking about an outpouring of God's Spirit and a next fresh move of God. And it's going to be characterized by the Spirit of righteousness. We are going to rejoice in righteousness, not self-righteousness. We're going to rejoice in holiness. It's going to be so wonderful. And we're going to step out of here and the glory of God is going to go with us and people will be touched in the street. They will stop us and say, what is it about you? Not because we're putting on an act, but because... Without us knowing, the fragrance of Christ is flowing from our lives. So I encourage you, put that first and the rest will follow. Not happiness now, but holiness now. Try that. Try that for a week. Stop pursuing your own happiness. Pursue his holiness and righteousness. 
Hello? Now, in some ways, what I'm saying is a false distinction, either happiness or holiness, all right? Because when you pursue happiness, you get the happiness. And the happiness is not that every circumstance will immediately line up as if you're living in the new Jerusalem. That has to wait. There's a time coming, not yet. It's time coming when he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. Amen. There's going to be no more sorrow or sighing or mourning or dying. Amen. That's what has to wait. But in the meantime, we can have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And as we learn to flow with the Holy Spirit, we will see just those things.